Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 284. In Hollywood, breakfast means maybe we'll do business. Lunch means yes, and dinner means we're in bed. Richard Rollard. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, Indie Film Hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Black Box. Black Box is a new platform and community that is all about financial freedom for filmmakers like you. If you join Blackbox, you will be transformed from being a worker to being a maker of your own content, and you'll be making steady passive income from the global market. Blackbox currently allows you to upload your stock footage once, get it to many global agencies, and then allows you to share that passive income stream with your collaborators. Whether you want to submit old footage that's been sitting around in your hard drives or create brand new content, Blackbox is for you. It's really quite revolutionary. With Blackbox, filmmakers can concentrate on making great content while Blackbox takes care of all the business BS. Just visit www.blackbox.global to find out more. And today's show is also sponsored by Indie Film Hustle TV, the world's first streaming service dedicated to filmmakers, screenwriters, and content creators. If you want access to filmmaking documentaries, feature films about filmmaking, interviews with some of the top screenwriters and filmmakers in Hollywood, as well as educational online courses all in one place, IFH TV is for you. Just head over to IndieFilmHustle.tv. Now, I have filmmakers that come up to me all the time and say, Alex, I can't afford a camera. I can't I can't shoot what I want to shoot because, you know, these cameras are so expensive and, all, you know, I, I can't afford an Alexa, I need a Red, or I can't even afford a Black Magic. It just doesn't, I can't do it. And every time I always look at them, I said, you have the power to make your own film probably in your pocket with your smartphone. You know, so many of us out there have either an iPhone or a Samsung or an Android or something that is more than capable of shooting an amazing film. And now Sean Baker with Tangerine really broke the mold uh, on what can be done with the iPhone. And he was shooting with an iPhone, I think, 5S uh, back in the day. And uh, nowadays with like the new iPhones and even uh, like the iPhone I have, the 6S, is more than capable of shooting an amazing short or even an amazing feature depending on what kind of story you're trying to tell. If you guys have not seen Tangerine, Sean Baker's Tangerine, 
uh, please search it out for it. I'll put a link to it in the description as well as our interview about how he did it in the show notes. But today's guest is kind of a revolutionary filmmaker, man. His name is Jason Van Genderen, and Jason is an iPhone filmmaking fanatic. He actually threw away and gave away or sold all of his big high-end gear, and he is a strictly an iPhone filmmaker. All his productions, all of his uh, videos, he shoots strictly on iPhones and has built an insane business around it. And I'm not just talking about he's doing his own little private shorts. He does you know, client-based work shooting iPhones. And people always freak out about like, why are you just showing up with an iPhone? I'm like, just trust us. We know what we're doing. He actually teaches all around Australia, in the US, in Europe about filmmaking with iPhones. And I wanted to have him on the show because I wanted to prove again to you guys that you don't need all this big, heavy equipment. You don't need a RED. You don't need an Alexa. You don't even need a big black magic camera. You just need what's in your pocket. If you could afford the bigger cameras, great, but you don't need it. Just so you know, you can tell compelling stories without it. And his uh, first short film he shot on an iPhone has been played in hundreds of film festivals around the world and is one tens of thousands of dollars in film festival uh, prizes and stuff. So I, he, he really is an inspiration to filmmakers around the world. And I so wanted to, I, I really searched him out and I wanted him on the show. And I'm so uh, blessed and humbled that he's on the show and he's going to be dropping, I'm talking about some serious knowledge bombs on how do you make films with an iPhone. We talk about the gear of what you do to put around the iPhone to make it work even more like a cinematic uh, tool, what apps he uses to uh, shoot 24P and all that good stuff, audio, everything. We go into it deep. And he has a great uh, course on iPhone filmmaking that will hopefully be coming to IFH TV very, very soon. I'm working on it, guys. Uh, but it, uh, it is a great course as well. He's, talk, he's had TED Talks uh, about filmmaking with iPhones and other things in the business. He's just an inspiration in general. Now, if you guys want to see this video live and actually watch this interview, which was a great one, it's available on the Indie Film Hustle video podcast on IFH TV. Just go to IndieFilmHustle.tv to check it out. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jason Van Genderen. I'd like to welcome to the show, Jason Van Genderen, man. Thank you so much for being on the show, brother. Alex, it's amazing to finally meet you, uh, rather than just listening to you through <laughs> the podcast channels. Finally get to see you and hear your voice uh, one-on-one. It's fantastic, mate. It's awesome, man. And you are, and we are having this, inter- this is like an international call. Uh, so you are in Australia. What time is it over there right now? I uh, know. Well, it's, it's almost uh, coming up to half past 10 in the morning for me here. Oh, nice. So nice. Sunny morning. So you oh, you are spring. in the future. So you can tell me what happens. <laughs> I can tell you everything that happens. We are we're at least a good half day ahead of you. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank I think you. For the only time Australia is considered to be ahead of anywhere in the world. So <laughs> fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, so thank you again for jumping on, man. And um, I, you know the reason I wanted to put you on is because you have a very unique set of skills that we have not had a guest on the show before, which is iPhone filmmaking or pocket filmmaking. As you put it. So we're going to yeah. get deep into that. But first, 
How did you get into this crazy business we like to call the film industry? Well, my my checkered background really started in the world of advertising. So I uh, I was working as an art director in the advertising industry for about thirteen years, mm-hmm. and got really really tired of just making thirty second and forty five second stories. I feel you. <laughs> for, I feel for, you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, just thought there must be another life beyond that. So basically, uh, I I set up my own little business, a production business called Treehouse. Uh, 17 years ago, mm-hmm. and from there we've gradually we started pretty much as a as a, a an advertising branding agency. Uh, we started working more in television and video and online, and now it's it's 100 of our business. We we do a lot of branded content, so we do a lot of um, uh, commercial content. We do a lot of um, social content for for a lot of brands all around the world. And uh, in the spare time, I still make my own films and make a lot of training resources and have really, as you, you said before, I've, I've, not that I've fallen in love with making things on smartphones, but smartphones really found me as a way of making content. And uh, I was so surprised by what they could create as a tool that I started digging deeper and, and was just so pleasantly surprised by how deep we could take the technology and and the level of what we could actually create uh, with with this new miniaturization of our cameras. It is, I mean, it is like the latest stuff. I mean, they're they're really powerful cameras. I mean, they have some insane capabilities that literally it are sitting around, it's sitting around your pocket. But a lot of people just don't know what to do with it because you are not trained anywhere how to shoot with an iPhone. It's not in a film school. It's not generally in the mainstream. Everyone looks down upon it because, oh, it's just an iPhone. Um, but uh, Sean Baker kind of taught us a little bit about that uh, with his amazing film, Tangerine. By the way, what did you think yeah. of Tangerine when you saw it? Incredible. I, I watched it in flight somewhere on the way to another festival. And yeah, I, I thought it was – I mean he shot that on iPhone 5, I think, or 5S. I think it was – 5S, if I'm not mistaken. It was either 4S. 5S? I yeah, think yeah. it might have even been 4S, but it might have been 5. Yeah, because I own a 6. I own a 6S. I haven't jumped yet. So I think it was one or two back. It was a while ago. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, it was, again, it was a trailblazing project and it was very brave, very adventurous. And again, with every great story, you're watching a film that, sure, you know it's been shot on a smartphone. Maybe that's how, ca- how you come across Tangerine initially to watch it. But I think, you know, a few minutes in, you are totally swept into that story. And that's, you know, the great charm of, of any film, regardless of what we make it on, is, is all about creating that incredible story. And I, I think that's, that's the voice we need to rise to the top through this. It's not so much about what camera we're filming on. It's about um, enabling ourselves to tell better stories in, in more ways. No, without question. And, I, I mean, I've, I, I, when I, I had Sean on the show – to talk about that uh, a while ago. And he actually told me, he's like, we, we played in Sundance and nobody knew that we shot it on iPhone. Like after the yeah. first screening at the very end, it said shot on an iPhone and everybody just mind blew up. It was like insane. And, and I think that, that, that was an absolute, uh, you know, stroke of brilliance on Sean's behalf because a, a lot of people would, would have had the temptation of actually saying right up front. Oh yeah. Lead with, you know, lead this, with it. This is yeah. what it's made on. But um, yeah, it's incredible the fact that he did that. Uh, like I said, it's extremely brave, but you know, very credible film. It's deserved all the success it's it's enjoyed. And uh, yeah, I think uh, wonderful, a, a great example of of exactly what we're talking about today, which is the fact that you know people anywhere with a with a fantastic idea can actually realise their story in some capacity 
if they just rethink the tools that they have accessible to them now already. Mm-hmm. And certainly our smartphones are a fantastic way of, of upskilling um, our, our filmic ability. Yeah, without question. So, so so from what I read about you, there was this like famous moment where you literally threw away your high-end video camera or film camera, well, it was a video camera, I guess, uh, and just said, screw it, I'm going iPhone all the way. What was that moment and what caused you to go down that road? You're going down the rabbit hole now, Alex. This, yeah. this is a crazy story. <laughs> so this this takes us all the way back to 2008. What? Um, that was like, that was like yeah. what, two, that was years, decades, millions I of years know, ago. I know, 10 years ago, 10 years ago. <laughs> it's just crazy. And to think that we, you know, this is, I think, two years in on having cameras on smartphones. Right. You know, commercially. So, so iPhone had only just released the year before. I'm not even sure if the 2008 version of the iPhone could record video, but the camera that I had back then was a Nokia N95, a little sliding smartphone. And I remember carrying this thing around, looking at it, and and wondering whether one day we'd actually end up telling stories on our smartphones, whether we could use them as, as actual camera tools. So I, I pretty much just walked around and and uh, with a couple of friends of mine, Shane Emmett and John Roy, who's a fantastic musical composer, I just... We started talking one day. I said, I'd love to make a film on a smartphone and see if we could actually ever get that into a film festival. Mm-hmm. And, of course, sitting here in Australia, our aim was to try and get into an international film festival. <laughs> so we uh, we had this concept of, of you know those um, magnetic poetry kits? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fridge. yeah. Yeah, you can make it a poem about something. Someone <laughs> adds something to it as they walk past the fridge. It's, mm-hmm. it's a cool little idea. So we thought, well, what if we could do that with a smartphone film? What if we could actually walk around the city? And so we walked around Sydney with with this little Nokia, and we just filmed words on signs. So we, we were, we were, I guess, harvesting words from shop fronts and vans parked on the side of the street, from the sidewalk, from mm-hmm. anywhere we could see signage and words. We'd start filming individual words. We had no concept of a script. We had no storyboard. We had no budget. And we're working with a smartphone. That was it back in 2008. We ended up collecting 1,200 words. Um, I remember Bluetoothing them one at a time from the phone to my (laughs) Mac. Yeah, there was no way to hook it up back then. There was no way to hook it up back then. That's right. No way, absolutely no way. But still, you know, we were blitzed by that science. We're like, wow, you can actually wirelessly transmit this thing from a phone to a device. This is, it's it's know, fairly it's fairly insane. That technology is fairly it insane. Is, it is. So we ended up with twelve hundred words, um, and uh, we decided to try and make a film out of that. And of course, it was the complete one hundred and one way of do not try and make a short film this way. We had no concept of really what we were making a film about. We had, like I said before, no script, no storyboard. Um, so we, we, we realized as we were capturing these words on, on street signs that we were very affected by uh, homeless communities in, in the city. And the fact that, you know, you can walk down the street and you can walk past 10, 20 homeless people a day and never look them in the eye. They kind of become part of the, the furniture in the city. The they're, landscape, they're almost right. Wallpaper. The landscape, yeah. And so we decided we would try and make a, a project that, I guess, a, a story that spoke to that and, and questioned whether... Um, you know, there, there was another way we could connect with, with one another on that level. And so we wanted to make a film about homeless societies in cities and urban environments. Um, and Shane and I, we sat there looking at this list of 1,200 words for three nights in a row and trying to find something to, to, something to stitch together into a narrative. And nothing really happened. It was just like it was like going to the dentist three times in a row. It was Honestly, we were sitting there, just nothing was coming to us. 
And then we, we um, I remember one night we, we contacted John Roy, um, this composer friend of ours, and we said, look, we've got this idea of a film. We want to cut these things together, these words. We've got some shots of these incredible homeless people we've met along the way. We want to make a story about homeless societies in an urban environment and our sense of disconnect with that. We want like a piano score, but it has to be like plinky plonk so we can cut the words on certain notes. And I'm totally from a non-musical background. So when I say plinky plonk, that's pretty advanced uh, technical musical speak. From, Very from much. Side of- Same here. And, yeah, <laughs> but I know what I like, right? So uh. I, I, sent him, uh, I sent him a page with 12 images on it from the shoot, and he went away and composed this incredible three-and-a-half-minute piece, which he almost threw away. And uh, he phoned me the next day. I said, look, I've got one little piece of music, and but I, you know, I want to just fine-tune it now. And I said, no, 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 John, send it through. And he did. And Shane and I listened to it and just knew instantly it was the right piece of music for this film. You could hear the breath in the piano strings. It was incredible. And the film we made was called Mankind is No Island. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we ended up being inspired by the music. The words started leaping off the page once we heard the music. We started mm-hmm. finding all of those connections. We put this together. We entered it into a film festival in New York called uh, Tropfest New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tropfest at that stage was uh, Australia's biggest short film festival. It attracted an annual live audience of between uh, eighty and 100,000 people. I'm sorry, how much? Uh, eighty to 100,000. For, for a short on, film festival? For a short film festival, this is right, on a Sunday evening on a su- Sunday summer's evening in Sydney. Is there nothing and else to do in Sydney during that? <laughs> like, I don't there understand. That's mind-blowing. <laughs> even Sundance doesn't get like that many people. Even Sundance doesn't even get that many people. That's crazy. Correct. It is like a rock concert for short filmmakers. That's awesome. It is insane. That's so they cool. had a, a version in New York, and we decided to, to enter it into that. Okay. And, and that's where the whole story for us started. We, we ended up getting selected, um, flew across for the festival, we, we, we played the film, we won, we won People's Choice as well, we got Best Film, and it just started this whole conversation rolling in a much bigger space. And we did lots of media interviews and uh, lots of talks at other film festivals and universities and film colleges. And, yeah, it just started this love of, of actually not being confined so much by the limitations in the gear we didn't have to tell stories and actually looking at what we did have available to us and how we could appropriate it and appropriate the concepts that we're working on to be told with simpler tools, simple, simpler camera tools. And that film cost you $57, if I read correctly. 57 Australian dollars. Wow, make. so it's not even American dollars. So, wow, that's like not even American. <laughs> so it would have been 40, you know, 42 so. or 3 American dollars to make. And then how much, and up, how um, much, you have prim- how much prize money? Today, so it's still actually going in festivals around the world. There's ten years on; it's still doing the the, the rounds, and um, it insane. managed to win over thirty three thousand dollars in prize money. That's insane! Oh my god! It's like that's that is that is the hustle. <laughs> that is the indie film hustle without question. <laughs> Look, I thought I was rough because my first short film, I had it running in festivals probably like four or five years. And you're still going ten years in. That's insane. Ten years. Yeah, it's not competing anymore, but it's still it's oh, still getting sure. uh, invitations all the time to screen, and um, it's it's amazing. I, I just love those little projects you work on, those little experimental projects that end up surprising you as the creator as well, as well as the audience. And I think um, you know, it's it's the for us, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's the the, the film story that just keeps on. Traveling around the world, finding new audiences, and uh, I, I watch it every now and then. It still teaches me a little bit about what I'm doing. It still 
it still has uh, little little gems to give. You know, it's funny. I always because a lot of the people I worked, a lot of my collaborators I worked on with that short film, they kept every time they would see that short film, my short film come back up. They're like, "Isn't that horse dead? Like, didn't you kill that? Like, you've you've ridden that horse as long as you Haven't can." You I'm done like, anything since? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, no, I just I just you know inject them with some adrenaline, pick the horse back up, and just keep riding them <laughs> until it keeps going. So hey, if it keeps going, why not? Right? I mean, if people still want to see it, it's all good. Um, yeah, and then what was your, do you, did you distribute that film? Did you actually put it somewhere to be watched or sold or is it strictly just off offline? Literally just, just offline on festivals. It's, it's, it is online at the moment on the, the Tropfest YouTube channel. Okay. Uh, so it's had a life there. It's had over a million views on there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I, I mean, Short film in Australia is a really strong, healthy medium for um, for creatives coming out of uh, colleges and film schools. It's something we really actively embrace, and and I'm, I feel really fortunate that um, you know even in little little old Australia, we can actually say we've got a film festival that draws a live audience of eighty to one hundred thousand a year. It's just insane. And when when filmmakers come from overseas, they've never experienced anything like that. They walk into this field and they see this sea of people, and they 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 think they're at some crazy concert. It's just an incredible experience. I, I, I mean, you're almost inspiring me to make a short film. I mean, I seriously, I got to send something over there because I'm just, I just want to experience that. That sounds amazing for a filmmaker. Yeah. Look, look, there's very few venues, very few things out there. Can you know, Sundance, Toronto, they don't bring in a hundred thousand eyeballs. You know, that's insane. Know. Yeah, that's like YouTube yeah. numbers. Like you get a hundred thousand views. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. So if if any filmmakers want to make a trip to Australia, try and try and uh, make it around uh, February when uh, Tropfest screens in Australia and come and experience the festival. Because as a filmmaker, it's just that this energy of even just being in the in the audience, uh, even sure. if you don't have a film in the festival, just being in that crowd and seeing eighty to one hundred thousand people react and respond at once That's to so... something they see in a screen is just mind blowing. It, it gives me chills just speaking about. It. Yeah, because it's nothing that not, no normal filmmakers don't get that. Like you know, even mm. the biggest blockbusters from Hollywood doesn't get that all in one. You don't get an eighty to one hundred thousand people watching Avengers. Like it doesn't yeah. happen. So it's. That must be amazing. Um, so let yeah. me ask you a few tips for uh, making your iPhone more cinematic, because that is a because sure. if you I mean iPhones is like any other tool, you could use it poorly or you could use it really well. Yeah, yeah. So th there's probably a couple of key things. One would be um, you need to obviously understand the the strengths and the limitations of your iPhone as as a, a camera tool. It's mm -hmm. got a tiny lens. It's got a tiny imaging chip. Um, the obviously the the latest versions of of the iPhone have, have, you know, stepped it up in quality again and they've got incredible, you know, dynamic range now. Um, so the, the, the things that I would say from the get-go you really need to focus on in accessorizing your phone with to make it a real cinematic capture tool would be, um, first of all, there's an app called Filmic Pro. Yeah. Which is the same app that Sean Baker filmed mm -hmm. on as well, Film Tangerine on too. Uh, it gives you complete manual control over all the camera inputs on your iPhone. So if you can imagine the kind of uh, controls you have on a DSLR camera, you can have those on your iPhone with Filmic Pro. Mm -hmm. um, so it's invaluable. It's, it's it's the number one selling manual camera app around the world, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and it allows you to then work with a whole host of other accessories, which you can obviously then put onto your phone to expand what it can see optically, what it can hear. Um, 
so yeah, Filmic Pro, that'll be the first thing I tell people to do. Go, rush out, find that app, put it on your phone and play with it. And yeah, it's pretty cheap too, right? Ah, oh, it's incredible. Like a, uh, it's like 10 I'm bucks. I'm not sure what it is in America. 10, 15 bucks? Well, probably, yeah, probably. I think it's around 20-something here oh. in Australia. But um, yeah. yeah, it's look for – isn't it funny? These days with the apps we talk about, you know, paying anything for an app. And whenever I go to a film college and I say, oh, you need to buy this app and it's $20. And they go like, what? That's crazy. I'm never paying $20 for an app. But, you know, you're expanding the functionality of your device so much. Everybody wants everything for free. It's insane. Uh, tell me about it, brother. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I completely understand what you're saying. Totally, totally. So Filmic Pro is the bedrock. That's that's the thing I would start with. And, of, of course, it's available in an Android version as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, if, if you're not on iPhone, if you've got something else, you can you can run Filmic Pro. It's amazing. The other thing that, that is um, a real game changer with iPhone, we call it iPhoneography. Is, nice. Um, trademark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, trademark that. Um, is the ability to add accessory lenses now. So a lot of people, always, yeah. they've heard of you know lens clips like Oloclip or yeah. Moment lenses and things like that, which have their own sort of fastening system onto your phone. Um, B-Script make an incredible uh, cage system for your iPhone or for any smartphone, and they have a device called a DOF2, which is a depth of field converter. And ex- essentially it's a, it's a barrel which attaches to um, their B-Script camera cage, which you put your phone in, and it allows you to then ex- accessorize your iPhone with any number of different uh, DSLR lenses or cine lenses. It's, 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 is it worth it? Because like, that's a lot of glass going through. That's like a lot of glass. So is it going to degrade the image a bunch or is it worth it? It's definitely worth it. If you want to work with um, with, with nice shallow depth of field, it's really at the moment the only real way we can do it until – computational imaging sort of steps it up another couple of notches and we can get the effect of what we see in portrait still mode now on our phones. Right. But, you know, when we can get that in video mode, then that kind of is a, another conversation again. But in the meantime, if you do love, um, you know, that, that beautiful cinematic look of layering the focus in your vision, um, you need something like a depth of field converter to actually attach accessory lenses mm-hmm. to your smartphone. And, um, Look, it is great. It does cut back the light input a little bit because essentially what you're, you're telling the lens to do is to focus on a another focusing screen inside the depth of field converter, um, and that sounds all very technical. But in the end of the day, it allows your your iPhone to be able to see through any lens pretty much you can put in front of it. And we, we've seen things captured. We, we've certainly captured things ourselves here commercially um, through through lenses that people would never ever guess have been attached to a phone. They just they wouldn't think it's been filmed on a smartphone. I mean, I think you and I are similar vintages as far as our age is concerned. So you might remember this camera. Do you remember the DVX 100A Panasonic? Yes. It was yes. Wonderful, wonderful. Wasn't that with the most beautiful camera ever? It was the first 24P, yeah. the first 24P camera. And yeah, it had, yeah, yeah, it had yeah. a yeah. stock lens on it. It was a Leica. It was a beautiful lock lens, but then you couldn't get that depth. So you had the 35 millimeter adapter and then you could put on those things, but then you would it automatically lose like a stop or two. So you had to like yeah totally pump so similar in that way, and I think it had like a glass. Didn't it have like a glass. Oh, it had the mirror spinner. Yeah, the spinner. or something. And I did. I did a movie once that because um, I shot my film on the DVX and I had the adapt. I had a screw in adapter, not the thirty five, but a screw in. Yeah. To get the wide angle. Yeah, yeah. Just to get the. Uh, sorry, everybody, we're we're geeking out old school now. Um, yeah, we are geeking out. Uh, but but um, I had a film that came in. It was a million dollar feature film that they shot on the DVX. I. Don't know why, but they did. This is back years, years ago. And they never attached. 
Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. The, the, the adopter properly. And in the top corner, you would see the mirror. Like the no. little, little circle, like flickering. No. The whole movie, all the footage. I'm like, it was a first time DP, but that's a whole other story for a whole other movie, a, a uh. podcast. But that was, that was the technology we were dealing with. But the reason I brought that uh. up is because it did drop a lot of, um, it, it dropped stops. So I'm assuming that this is similar, yeah. that you've got to pump similar more light in. More light. And that's, that is an absolute given with, with all smartphones and, and any small lens camera. We need to, you know, smaller sensors need more light. So we need to work with more light when, we, when we're shooting. Although, you know, having said that, the new 10S, um, you know, the <laughs> dynamic range in that is incredible. We, we took that out for a camera test a couple of weeks ago at a film festival here in Australia, um, just comparing the 10 to the 10S in nighttime tests. And the, the amount of extra latitude and exposure was insane. It's really? it's like thirty to forty percent more light coming in in low light situations. Now, are you which was incredible? Are you finding more filmmakers using this as a serious like a serious package? Because I don't see a lot. I mean, other than Sean Baker, and there's a handful of other you know outliers, and yourself, obviously. But are yeah. there? Have you see? Have you run across other filmmakers who are doing serious work with iPhones? We have. We, we've actually started to see the explosion of smartphone film festivals have yeah, really started has. taking off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, earlier this year I was at one in San Diego uh, run by Susan Botello, amazing um, smartphone film fest. Went to one in Zurich, the Momo Film Festival. Here in Australia we've got SF3 Smartphone Flick Fest. You know, these, these are getting big support. It played at the Opera House in Sydney. I mean, that's how, how much attention these festivals are getting. People are rocking up at the Opera House, the landmark building here in Australia, to watch films all created on a smartphone. And, and people are really starting to push the boundaries. It's not just people picking these up and, and you know, a weekend hack, someone just having a go at the first time at storytelling. We're seeing real capable storytellers picking up their smartphones and really experimenting with the media and pushing the envelope as to what it can do um, as a camera tool. And, of course, these days too we can, we can accessorize with any microphone. Mm -hmm. um, we, 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 can, we can put wireless microphones on our smartphones and, and capture dialogue yeah. from a distance without being connected with leads. We can mm -hmm. do all that sort of thing. Yeah, I was going to actually ask you, how do you record professional sound? Because a lot of people will just pick up and go – Action and we're like, no, that's yeah. not, not going to work real well. Well, we, we, we work with with 
all, all the, the full range of pro microphones we've used in any other, other kind of production, we can still work with with our smartphones as well. Or you obviously still have the choice of recording your audio separately and syncing it in post. Um, we generally do both. Uh, we record into the camera as well as have uh, backup audio too. We can never have enough backups of audio. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, accessory microphones are, are, are definitely out there for literally for less than $100. You can buy a really incredible quality um, microphone to, to, you know, improve the quality of the sound on your smartphone 300%. And it's a no-brainer. When you see people actually starting to accessorize with a couple of hundred dollars worth of equipment and they see the leap in quality that they're achieving, mm-hmm. uh, they, they just get the bug and, and they want to, you know, get more and more and more. And the amount of times I've been on red carpets at film festivals – and I pull out my little smartphone rig and I'm just doing some little vox pops with someone or someone I've met that I want to ask a question to and I get one or two questions out and then instantly it's finished. All the producers and directors just start coming over. They're taking photos of the, the, the phone rig. They want to know what it is. <laughs> How do you shoot with it? Where do I get it? That, like It still seems to be such a new conversation. But the more that people are seeing it, the more they're getting exposed to it, the more they're understanding that there's a place in their production kit for a smartphone, uh, a broadcast smartphone kit. Now, let me ask you, because there is a stigma uh, around shooting with an iPhone. I mean, I, Sean Baker definitely. definitely broke that down a bunch. Mm. But everybody, I mean, I've talked to people, professionals, you know, snooty. Let's call them snooty LA guys. Um, who's like, that's not a real cinema phone. I mean, that's this or that. Yeah. And you know what? You can't compete. An iPhone's not going to compete with Alexa. It's just not going to. Uh, period. Yeah. It's never going to. But... Um, it will put the power of it of uh, of being able to tell a story in the hands of someone who can't maybe afford or get access to an Alexa. Now, how do you? Because I know a lot of people listening right now, their egos are are full right now. People listening, I, yeah. I promise you, I promise you, someone out there is going. This is ridiculous. I would never. Yeah, I'm yeah. a I'm a serious. I tuned out already. I, exactly. Like I'm a I'm a serious cinematic a cinephile. I'm a filmmaker. I don't. I don't shoot with an iPhone. That's what's in my pocket. I talk on that. I text on that. But what do you say to people like that? Because, I mean, I'm always about like whatever is the best tool for, you know, I shot my last film on a pocket camera. So it's just like what's the proper tool? It's not perfect for everything. If you're going to shoot a half million dollar movie, iPhone might not be the right tool for it. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing shorts or you're doing a smaller micro budget feature – and you could get a lot of bang for your buck. So what do you say to people like that who have that? And I'm sure you've run into them. I'm positive you've oh, run all into the time. them. <laughs> all the time. And they're, they're my favorite people to convert when I go to a festival. And, and, uh, and they're, they're, I mean, some of my peers I work with in the industry here are still saying I've, I've got rocks in my head. But right, right. We, when I show them what's possible with, with the equipment, they, they quickly change their mind. And I think, as you said, there is a, a definite stigma associated with not having a large camera in your hands when you're, you're going to film a serious project. But we can turn that stigma around too. I think that that stigma is something that's been a bit of a, a stain on the, the, the industry as a whole for a long time. A lot of people feel that they there hasn't been room for them. There hasn't been an inclusion there because they don't have access to that red epic or they don't have the means available to them to, to tool up with what's considered to be a, a proper cinematic camera or a broadcast camera. And they've not gone into storytelling or filmmaking because of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great shame because I've met some incredible writers, I've met some incredible producers uh, and wannabe cinematographers that have incredible ideas that just have put them on ice for three, four, five years and they may never make them because they just don't think those things are available to them. So the great joy here is actually saying 
we, we can turn that stigma around and actually say that stigma is probably one of the strengths of smartphone uh, cinematography and that you can actually be a storyteller anywhere, anytime with, with that thing that's in your pocket. And no, no one's going to question you. You can be a, a, a one-person production team. Yeah. You can be operating very frugally. You could be in the middle of Times Square um, filming this incredible shot, but nobody knows whether you're filming it just for a social feed or whether you're actually making something that's going to screen at Sundance. You're never going to get a tap on the shoulder by the security guards or the local administration asking you for your film permits. You're never going to – you see what I'm saying? You can yeah. really fly under the radar with, with a, a small camera like a smartphone. Um, and even when it's accessorized with some lenses and audio, we've never, ever been kicked out of an area. We've never been stopped from filming. We've never been considered a serious crew, and that's part of what I love. <laughs> we can actually travel around. We can get these incredible stories. We can capture this incredible footage, and we're never hindered in our way. And right. it's such a, a, an enabler for us in, in, in capturing story. I love it. For me, that's what I love doing. I'm a documentary filmmaker, so for me – you know, being able to run around like a ninja and and capture and create story and not be burdened by the process or the people around me or the environment that I'm filming in is a wonderful joy, and it's something that's been, allowed me to to actually make stories I couldn't make any other way. Yeah, they, exactly. I think it was a lot like the when the DSLRs first came out. Um, people were making, you know, uh, like Michael Polish's film for Lovers Only or things like that, where they literally went to, to Paris and shot everywhere. In restaurants, yeah. every because it was it was a, people thought they were taking pictures. The technology was so new, and now similar things with iPhones. Like no one, they're not professionals. Obviously, they're they don't know what yeah. they're doing. Obviously, yeah. so let's not bother them. Um, you know, I even ran across that with with the pocket. You know, like with my pocket yeah. camera, people yeah. were like, "What what are you doing?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm shooting a feature." Like, what? <laughs> like it's yeah. it's mind blowing. But you could <laughs> sneak in. With those kind of cameras and the iPhone's the ultimate of that because everybody knows that camera. I mean, you know that yeah. device, so you never, you'll never get caught with it. Um, and do you feel but like Alex, it's, it's hmm? happened all through the chain? Sorry, I was just going to say it's happened all through the chain of evolution in in camera craft. If we look back to, you know, the the the, the very begin with with film cameras, actual film cameras, when the digital video camera revolution came along, the film industry, the film camera industry, all those traditional cinematographers did not rate the digital camera setups. They, they, they never thought they were going to have a long-lasting place in the industry. <laughs> and, of course, history tells us otherwise. When you know the first DSLR came out, I think, in 2007 or 2008, with the ability eight, to actually film video. Yeah, I remember the 5D when the 5D video. came out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, when that first one came out with the record capacity for video, uh, the digital video camera market said that's not – that's not a proper camera. That's not how we're going to record video. Of course, yeah. You know, everybody <laughs> denied that that was actually going to make any kind of inroads in our industry. And now we're sitting at that other chapter. We've got the the further miniaturization of our craft. We've got smartphones. We've got uh, action cameras, adventure cameras. Uh, we've got all sorts. We've got wearable cameras coming next. You know, we've got so many things uh, that are new to the industry. And of course, everyone shooting on a DSLR or a digital video camera or anything else is is going no that's definitely not a serious camera history will prove that different um and again it's not about saying you know smartphone cameras are going to overtake the industry and you know no. every other kind of camera is going to disappear of course, of course no. that's not going to happen no, no. but what, what we we do need to be aware of is the fact that you know for some of those productions or some elements of your, your production maybe a smartphone camera is actually going to be able to capture that scene or tell that story better than something else you already have in your kit yeah and without question 
No, no, absolutely, without question. And you could sneak into places with that small camera and get shots. I do actually know of a few filmmaking DPs uh, who are on network shows who will yeah will do a little and they'll intercut. And if it's a quick little action thing or something like that, you know, it works. It, it really works. Get away I, a couple of weeks ago, Alex, I, I actually uh, was a guest at, at one of our major television networks here in Australia. Um, there was 240 of their executives gathered around in one of their mm-hmm. big studios. They have one of these get-togethers every three months. And um, they have guest speakers from all sides of the, of the, the film and television industry come in and, and address them once every, every quarter. Mm-hmm. I came in to talk to them about what smartphones are going to do, what what space is there for smartphones in the broadcast television world. And and I would have thought that would have been a really hostile audience going in and, right. and speaking to all those executives and EP, uh, um, uh, network producers and series producers, and they loved it. They were they were totally on board. They, they loved opening their minds to what they could do. And, of course, you know, we'd be having DOPs working on TV series coming up to us afterwards saying, you know, we've been filming with the same cameras for 20 years. And we're not allowed to upgrade our cameras because of budget, but we could afford two or three of these kits to to oh, you know, accessorize what we're doing in our production. And so they're seeing the, the the opportunity for it, and there's definitely space for it in the industry. Um, and when people start seeing some, you know, in the coming years, you, we'll see some more feature films. We'll see definitely see a lot more documentaries coming out that have been yeah. created. Um, on smartphones, and I think that'll help really change, be, be a catalyst of change for that conversation. And you know, we, you can buy a hundred and twenty dollar anamorphic lens to put on the front of your phone <laughs> and capture a beautiful anamorphic picture. Right. Like with, with anamorphic lens smears, the whole thing. You know, it's and it fits in your pocket. It's it is insane. It's it's crazy. Uh, do you, I mean? Uh, do you feel like it's? Uh, I mean, the iPhone revolution or the smartphone revolution is kind of similar to what happened with the DSLRs. Like people were like only like the first early adopters would go in and start playing and toying and making little films with it and all that kind of stuff. And now I feel that that's what's happening with iPhone technology and with, with, with smartphone technology. Completely, completely. In fact, we, we've, you know, so we, we run a production agency here in Australia and we uh, earlier this year became the first production house in Australia to actually downscale our tools so we now actually shoot all of our television commercials and all of our brand content for big brands exclusively on iPhones. We do it all on iPhones with accessory lenses, accessory microphones. Everything we produce out of our production agency uh-huh. is all sourced on a phone. Now, how how is it when you show up to set <laughs> and you bust open the iPhone? <laughs> like, how is it's that? Fantastic. I love it. I love. No, I no, but like other people, like other people, yeah. like what are the what is it? Other people say. I have to believe that. Like you okay. show up and there's a crew and they're like. No, seriously, what are we shooting on? <laughs> yeah, instead of 20 people, there's five people, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, but you guys aren't serious. You're just doing the social stuff, right? No, 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 we're actually doing the broadcast stuff today. And it, look, it, it's it's amazing because it opens so many conversations. When we're filming talent, they love it because it's, it's a completely different way of working, and sure. they find they're more in the moment rather than the process of the, the, the filmmaking process. So yeah. it's, it's a bit of a liberator for talent as well. And definitely – you know, when, when we're doing uh, documentary interviews, there's nothing like putting an unassuming camera set up in front of a documentary subject and getting them to open up. Uh, uh, we have been able to get so many more in- incredibly um, deep conversations going through using smartphones as camera capture tools as opposed to traditional camera setups for people that aren't used to being in front of the camera. It is an incredible enabler. And um, 
absolutely, without a doubt, we've we've made stories that would not have ever made it to air if it wasn't for uh, the the iPhone as a capture capture tool. Now, yeah, and you said you touched on something. I would love to to kind of dev, dig deep a little deeper into a talent. I mean, obviously, in the documentary mm. world, it, it, you're right because if you know, obviously, documentaries you got want people to open up, and when they see this Alexa. A red rig, which tend to be huge sometimes. Yeah, it could be over into especially intimidating for people who are not versed in our world. Uh, but when you you know you're like, okay, we're just gonna shoot this on, the, just open up. It's fine. It's fine. It's yeah, fine. yeah. That I have to believe is a lot better on a documentary standpoint, but also just as actors, you know, there's a freedom and a speed that you can move with these rigs. Um, you yeah. know, even with my experience with shooting with the with the with the small camera. I was able to move so quickly and the actors were just like on, like there's no going back to the the trailer for an hour while we reset. No, yeah, no, yeah. we're, we're, we're going there's and, and there's it's an energy to it. So what do you, well, yeah, yeah. I'd love to talk to you about that. Yeah, totally. Uh, we find exactly the same. It's, you know, it's so much faster to do uh, scene transitions to lighting setups are simpler. Um, everything is a lot more simpler. And so we find we have more ability to, to, to block through a scene. We have more ability to uh, work through the, the, the dialogue, the transactions. We, we just we see a lot more scope, a lot more experimentation with what we're capturing as opposed to being extremely didactic about what we're wanting to, sh- to shoot. And we, we call it lean forward filmmaking. We, we think it's really this, this sense of stepping on set and we actually have the camera in hand ready to go and we let the camera almost show and guide for us what could be a good flow for the camera movement, mm-hmm. what could be you know, good coverage in the scene. It's, it's quite different to actually sitting there and, first of all, overly pre-producing how we're going to actually capture that scene, how we're going to lens it, how we're going to light it, how, all that sort of thing. We, we find that there's just this... Um, there's almost like an organic nature to the production, which is really nice. And particularly, I, I think, for people that are not really versed with working with larger crews, um, that are relatively new to to working with other people, I think anything you can do to help keep your, your crew small, uh, to keep yes. your equipment tight, Overhead. to be able to yeah. give you more flexibility in your shoot day mm-hmm. and in your call sheet, I think all that stuff's all a positive. So it's a great way to actually really give yourself many more options than what you probably would do with it with a traditional camera setup. And at the end of the day, and I think this is, I think we could both agree on this. It doesn't really matter what the hell you shoot on is what's the story. And that's totally. what people get so, so, I mean, I did, I did full podcasts about stop obsessing about gear. No one gives a yeah. crap. Like they really don't only guys like you and me will go. So what you shoot on? Like really, but exactly. like, the, People watching a film on Netflix doesn't care if they shot on Alexa, on Red, on Black Magic, on an iPhone. It doesn't matter. Um, but people, I think, and and you might, you know, you might. Uh, I'd love to hear what you think about it. But I think a lot of times filmmakers use that as an excuse not to actually be filmmakers because they hide you know, behind it. I totally agree, and I, I think you and I have both gone to the exact same networking opportunities at festivals yeah. where you step into a room of of fellow creatives, uh, filmmakers, mm-hmm. uh, you meet one another and it's nobody talks about the project they're working on. They say, oh, I've just been shooting something on X, Y, Z. Right. You know, they're, they're straight away they're into the gear. They're straight away it, mm-hmm. it's all about the box. And I'm sure if you go to, you know, a, a, a great restaurant and go and have a chat to some chefs, they're not talking about what brand knife they've been chopping vegetables and, and fish with that night. Right. They're talking about something entirely different. You know, right. when we when we think about, you know, 
incredible performers on stage, the first thing they don't credit their success with is the brand of the microphone that they're singing into or the PA system. Right. You know, but somehow in the filmmaking industry, it's we're still very so... caught up in the fact that it's all about boxes and lenses. It's marketing, and though. It's the marketing of the, beyond that. It's the marketing of the companies, though. The companies want you to continue to buy new lenses, buy new cameras, buy new everything. So it, and it gets and you, and you hear it from the beginning of your career. So you get caught up in it. I've kind of let go of that now. I'm like, what's the right tool for the job? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's become almost like a skin, I feel. It's like something like you said before, like we, we, we wrap it over ourselves like a mask. And that, that's we, – we, we talking about the equipment and the gear seems to be an easier thing to do than actually opening up about what we're trying to say with what we're capturing. And I, and I think as soon as we can start changing those conversations, it's actually, Alex, the same reason why I never go and introduce myself as a filmmaker anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, as of earlier this year, I now call myself a film breaker. Because I feel the way I make films is is uh, at odds with what the industry perception of normal is, and so I think I tend to break a lot of rules when I make my films rather than making them. So, mm-hmm. when I say I'm a filmmaker and I step in that same environment, you know, what's the first question you think someone asks you when you say you're a filmmaker? Mm-hmm. What's the next thing that comes out of their mouth? Oh, what are you shooting on? <laughs> or what what films have you made that I know? Well, there's that and too. Chances yeah. are. It's not a lot. Yeah, there's right. probably not a lot that I've made that, that most people would have seen. So yeah, you're when I right. say you're introduce right. like, myself as a film breaker, that introduces a conversation rather than stopping it with you know, a period in the conversation. It's just it's a way of enabling people to understand that there's more than one way to make a, a film come alive. I always tell people that, you know, if you give a canvas and paint and brush to uh Basquiat, uh Warhol and Pollock, mm-hmm. you're gonna get paint on a canvas. But yeah, how you get it is up to them, and it really doesn't matter the style yeah. you make it. Like I know I, I've I've worked with filmmakers who, uh, and I've also talked to filmmakers who are completely improv films. Like I've done yeah. my last two films were fairly you know structured outlines in film, and you know and 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 that's the first time I ever did that. Before that, it was more structured and storyboards and previs and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But there's millions of different ways to tell the story. But at the end of the day, and I think this is where filmmakers get so co- just miss the mark. It is about what story you're trying to tell. How are you trying to impact the world in one way, shape, or form? Whatever your what's your what's your take on it? What is your perspective? Exactly. What's on your this? voice? What's I think your a, voice? A lot of people get lost in that. Yeah, they 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 forget that really that perfecting their craft is not about learning how to use more boxes. Uh, it's really about learning how to really define their voice and their style as a storyteller. And embracing that and and let and feeling comfortable in their skin actually owning their style of production and what they bring to the films that they want to release to market actually and i think that's that's actually a really good point people really need to focus more on their voice and and what they want to say as opposed to uh experimenting with you know, 14 different types of camera setups before they feel they've made a, a serious film well i think the other thing is that like well that movie was shot, you know, this Oscar winning movie was shot on Alexa. So if I shoot a movie with Alexa, then my chances yeah. are so much better to get an Oscar. Like yeah, that's totally, the, totally. isn't that the mentality? Like seriously, like, oh, I have to get a red because that's what like the Avengers was shot on. So I want a $200 million budget. So I guess I have to yeah. shoot on the red. It's, 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 it's nutty. It really is nutty. I hope we've Imagine changed. If, if we only felt comfortable uh, stepping out on the road and driving a car, if we could have a $300,000 vehicle, I mean, we can still drive in a, in a $2,000 bomb, but right. you know, it's, it's, we still get, it still gets us to A to B hopefully, but 
uh, it's fine to aspire towards those those other lofty cameras and and setups. But the main thing is, I think, what people need to think about is, if I'm a great storyteller, if I've got an idea for telling a story, what can I resource around me that'll help enable me to tell that story? Right. Rather than give myself more excuses and delays and procrastinating about actually starting making that film. Absolutely, and I hope today's conversation, Jason, has has woken a few people up, has inspired a few people to pick up the thing in their pocket and go tell a story, experiment, learn. I mean, there is no film development. There is no huge amounts of media that you have to buy and trans. I mean, it's if you you want to tell a story, there is no excuse. And that's what I, that's what I hope this conversation, this interview has helped a few people today. So thank you for, for dropping the knowledge bombs. I'm going to ask you a few questions that I ask all of my guests. Um, Mm -hmm. What advice would you give a filmmaker wanting to break into the business today? Um, I would say you are your project's best advocate. Mm -hmm. So never, ever give up on it. If you give up on your project, if you waver, if you lose the love, nobody else is going to have the love for your project like you do. So you need to be the absolute champion for your project and never, ever lose sight of that. I think I see a lot of people with an idea that uh, as soon as they start shopping it around or they um, start asking for opinions, they feel that <laughs> it's probably a, less, a lesser thing than what they started out with and they, right. they park it off to the side and then they, they lose the love for it. I think – yeah, you need to be your project's best advocate. So never stop selling the concept of what you want to make. If you believe in it with all your heart, if you feel it's a thing you really want to make, it's your sole responsibility to be the champion for it. You need you need to pull everybody else on board, and you need to fly the flag all the time. And I think you have to be uh, free of the good opinion of others uh, in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. In in fact, you know. Um, uh, Seeking the advice and opinions of people around you that aren't your friends and family is probably the other thing I would say is making sure you get some good independent right. reviews of your work mm-hmm. uh, and and it'll hurt the first time <laughs> someone comes back to you and tears it to shreds. Um, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. it's a horrible experience but if you sit on it for two or three days and look at your work again with, with that in your mind, hopefully you can learn from the process and certainly that's probably how I've grown as a filmmaker and a storyteller is by exposing my work to people that I really respect that um, don't have a personal association with me, mm-hmm. that feel honest enough to actually really be honest about a project when I show that to them and um, to, to take on board, to listen to their conversation with fresh ears and eyes after a few days when the pain is settled and you can look at your work and actually <laughs> learn from it and grow as a storyteller is really important. Absolutely. Now, can you tell me the book that had the biggest impact on your life or career? The book that had the biggest impact on my life or career – I'm going to probably be a little controversial here and say it's going to be a book with no words. Okay. And I'm going to give you a book called The Arrival by Sean Tan. Okay. And I don't know if you've heard of that. He's a, he's a, a graphic novelist um, based in the western side of Australia. Um, he uh, won an Academy Award for an animation called The Lost Thing, I believe, mm-hmm. a few years ago. And um, – he, uh, yeah, the, the, this graphical novel called the the arrival is an incredible story about uh, what it likes, what 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 it's like to feel to walk in the shoes of being an immigrant in a new country, 
but it's completely told through incredible illustrations, no words needed. It invents its own language through the book when you read it. That's so, awesome. So, uh, yeah, The Arrival by Sean Tan. Definitely check that out. It's incredible. Great, incredible book. great, it's great It's like a storyboard, incredible storyboard. Awesome. Now, what lesson mm-hmm. took you the longest to learn, whether the film industry or in life? The lesson that took me the longest to learn would have to be to never stop making, whether you feel you're a success or a failure, Mm -hmm. whether you feel you're inspired or not, there is no replacement for making and keeping your tools sharp and keeping your skills sharp. And I think um, always staying in the game, always going out, finding story, listening, making story all the time. Always refine your skills and keep going. Don't give yourself a year off from filmmaking. You need to keep making wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you need to keep making. Whatever that story is that's in front of you, keep making it. And uh, three of your favorite films of all time. Three of my favorite films of all time. I'm going to keep it to documentary because that's probably my passion. Okay. Um, The first one I would say would be uh, Blackfish. Probably one of my all-time oh, favorites. Yeah, that's a great that's the story of Tillicum, the killer whale. Oh, incredible! What a well, it killed an, it killed an entire company. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're here. I'm here in LA, black, so black I saw I saw what had happened. Like, I went to SeaWorld like with my family because yeah. my girls wanted to go. I was like, I don't really want to go. Let's not support it. All right, we're gonna go once, and that's it. Man, yeah. they changed everything. It was pretty remarkable yeah. that one movie knocked down a multi-million dollar corporation it's pretty amazing completely and if you want inspiration as a documentary filmmaker like mm-hmm. there is no greater inspiration than something like that when mm-hmm. you see the, the cause and effect of a film like that's incredible um the second film i would probably pick is searching for sugar man oh what a wonderful uh, film oh god i love that movie love it. yeah it was totally so loved it and I'll- go ahead go ahead sorry no go ahead go ahead i was just saying large chunks of it were actually filmed on iphone really i didn't know that yes yeah, so look that up. Large chunks of the um, the uh, recreated historical footage, uh, I think, was filmed with a eight millimeter film app on a smartphone. <laughs> That's great. Because so he was it's, doing it's, I mean, it's sad that he passed away, but I, I remember the filmmaker. He did it almost all by himself. Like he was yeah. editing for like Real two or three block. years and. And then he got the Oscar, which was just like, oh my god! When totally. I saw, I mean, that is the ultimate indie film hustle: searching for Sugarman. This this guy made it happen. Incredible story, made with 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 really oh. sparse resources. Yeah, beautiful. What told. was that other one that just came out a few years ago? Is it the Walk Walk the Line? About yeah. the, oh, what you know what I'm talking about? The one that the uh, the guy crossed yeah. the t- the Twin Towers. Yeah, 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 yeah. What? Yeah, uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, type rope. Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah. What yeah. an amazing documentary! I fell in love with that guy. He's crazy. Yeah, I love yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> All right, exactly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And the third one. I got a third one for you. I Go got a third it. one for you, and that's um, a filmmaker called Brian Hertzlinger, and his documentary was My Date with Drew. Came out in yes, I remember that. I've seen that movie. You remember yeah. that one? Yeah, when he Literally went, he, he, he was obs- about making a. When the stalker laws were a little less back then, apparently, um, but he wanted. To- <laughs> He wanted to make. He wanted to date with Drew Barrymore, and he made a whole documentary totally. about it in thirty days. Incredible! Just the ultimate challenge. You know, can you make a film in thirty days? And he didn't even own a camera. That was the incredible thing. He and his, yeah. his two friends had to go and beg, borrow, and steal a camera on a credit card, which they had to be able to get a refund on within thirty days. That was a premise to making their film. Right. So, so they knew they had thirty day window to make thirty days to go and yeah. find 
a date with Drew Barrymore. And I think uh, Rotten Tomatoes actually called it the, the love it or hate it's um, stalkerazzi. Uh, like it was the, the like I said, yeah, it was, you probably could not make that film in 2018, but, but back in 2004, it was just, it's one of those heartwarming, very simply made films. Um, the aesthetics in it, you know, are, are very pure, very basic, but a super sweet story and as a documentary filmmaker so much hope in there for for making story with minimal means that was awesome that's awesome great choices my friend great choices now Thanks, where man. can people find you in the work you do uh look probably the best place would be on facebook to look up film breaker mm-hmm. f-i-l-m-b-r-e-a-k-e-r mm-hmm. uh that's the page where uh, i've been sharing most of my um my knowledge bombs and work of late uh, we've got a few influencers on there c- contributing. Basically, it's a space where, where people who want to learn how to make uh, films with their smartphones can be tooled up, can mm-hmm. be um, uh, can be inspired. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we set that up in March this year with an aim of finding 10,000 people around the world that had a similar mindset, and we're now up to just over 30,000. <laughs> so, yeah, Film Breaker on Facebook is definitely the place to, to connect, uh, to stay in touch with what we're making, and, um, yeah, check out our work. Awesome, man. Thank you, Jason, again so much. This has been an amazing interview, amazing conversation, and I really do hope it inspires people out there in the tribe and whoever is listening to this to get out there and just go tell their story, man. It doesn't matter what you can – you have the power in your hands. Completely. Alex, wonderful being on the show. Thanks so much for the opportunity, mate. Really appreciate it. I want to thank Jason again for being on the show, man. Thank you for those knowledge bombs, Jason. And guys, I'm telling you, it is in the power of your hands. Don't let the lack of big movie gear stop you. You can make your movie, you can make your short, you can make your feature, you can make your series with an iPhone, with an Android phone. They are so, so, so powerful. I would have killed to have something like this when I was coming up in the business to just even practice with, let alone to take it to the next level and actually shoot professional projects with. So thanks again, Jason, for the inspiration. If you want to get links to uh, Jason's work, what he's doing, as well as links to the movie Tangerine and our interview with Sean Baker, and also a link to the video podcast of this, head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 284. And if you haven't already, please head over to IndieFilmHustle.tv. Check out what we're doing. It is amazing. The tribe is growing there daily. So thank you again so much for the support. And I got such big stuff coming for you guys in the months to come. So thanks again for everything. And I hope this episode was of service to you guys on your filmmaking journey. And as always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. 
Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia 